Humans mostly pay attention to the short term. If we can lift our eyes and look much farther out, not only does that benefit us personally, but business leaders that truly have uncommon sense sometimes take it to the extreme, and their results, actual and still in the works, can be absolutely mind-blowing. Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm Randy Cassingham. In the last episode, I talked about leadership and how making long-term investments in employees can pay off. I promise that this week, I'll look at how that might be taken to the extreme. My examples are names you've heard. You may have positive or negative feelings about these people, but this isn't about them per se. It's about their vision and how far out they're looking. I suspect you'll hear something you didn't know about these men. They are Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon.com, Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, and Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft. Let's start with Gates. He's famously known for his early Microsoft mantra, a computer on every desktop and Microsoft software in every computer. That's not something any company can do in a quarter or a year, or a decade. It's a plan born of long-term thinking, a mindset that made Gates the richest man alive. How nice for him. But if he stopped there, then he'd just be another rich guy who made money by helping others be more productive. If he truly has a long-term thinking mindset, he's not going to stop there. He's going to have much bigger goals than mere money. The money just enables long-term thinkers to achieve their loftier goals. Most CEOs in America don't really look beyond the money part. Growing stock prices and their personal bank accounts is their end goal. For those with true uncommon sense, it's just the beginning. In 1997, J.D. Meyer joined Microsoft. He's still there today. He's now the company's director of innovation. When I think back to why I joined Microsoft, he said in an essay last year, a very big reason was Bill Gates. Here was a guy with all the money in the world, yet he showed up every day to change the world. Rather than just retire and play with his money, he focuses his time, energy, and resources on making a better world for everyone. I figured he must be onto something. He is. It's one thing to be smart, it's another thing to be resourceful, Meyer said. And it's yet another thing to get meaningful results. Bill Gates is a visionary that makes things happen by creating systems bigger than himself and inspiring people to join him on epic adventures to change the world. I'll link to the article Meyer wrote on the show page. In 1998, just a year after Meyer joined Microsoft, Gates left the day-to-day -day operations at the company. In 2000, he stepped down as CEO. In 2006, he transitioned to working full-time with his foundation to give his money away to make the world a better place. If that's not an epic adventure to change the world, I don't know what is. There's no way even that foundation could spend his entire fortune by the time he dies, and he knows that. As of late last year, even after giving around $40 billion of his own money to the foundation, he still had over $100 billion. 
which will go to the foundation after he and his wife die. That's a lot of money, but there's more. Other billionaires, seeing how Gates is changing the world with his foundation, have signed on to give their billions to the foundations when they die. Most famously, Warren Buffett, who gave the foundation millions of shares of his company, Berkshire Hathaway, to expand its impact. When he dies, the rest of his money goes to the Gates Foundation, too. The point? Gates' view of the future and his involvement in improving that future looks way beyond his death. That's the kind of long-term thinking I'm talking about. Next is Elon Musk. I look at the future from a standpoint of probabilities, he said. It's like a branching stream of probabilities, and there are actions that we can take that affect those probabilities or that accelerate one thing or slow down another thing to introduce something new to the probability stream. He looks at the future and thinks about actions that we can take to accelerate the good things we want to happen and slow down the bad things we don't want to happen. Musk believes climate change is an existential threat to humanity, so the goal of Tesla is to accelerate the advent of sustainable transport by bringing compelling mass-market electric cars to market as soon as possible. The challenge was, the last American vehicle manufacturing startup that actually succeeded was Ford. Founded in 1903, almost exactly 100 years before Tesla was founded. But Musk took a long-term planning approach to leave Ford behind. Our first product was going to be expensive no matter what it looked like, he said. So we decided to build a sports car as that seemed like it had the best chance of being competitive with its gasoline alternatives. I suspected that this could be misinterpreted as Tesla believing that there was a shortage of sports cars for rich people. So I described the three-step master plan for getting to compelling and affordable electric vehicles in my first blog piece about our company. And that master plan was to build a fancy, super expensive, but hugely compelling sports car so that rich people would want to buy them. The master plan was with the cash from that. Next was to design and build a luxury sedan that was so compelling, merely wealthy people would want to buy it. With the cash from that and the similar class SUV, they designed and built a much more affordable car for the masses, the Model 3. That car has, according to Consumer Reports, the highest satisfaction rating of any production car sold today. Higher than Porsche. Higher than the Corvette. Higher than BMW. To learn that, the nonprofit surveyed a half million car buyers to find the models that bring their owners joy. 92% of Model 3 owners said if they had to do it all over again, they would definitely buy a Model 3 again. In 2015, that luxury sedan, the Model S, scored 103 out of a maximum of 100 points on the Consumer Reports ranking scale, going over 100 due to weighting factors. No other car had even reached 100. Then there's the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's safety testing. They rank vehicle safety on a scale of 1 to 5 stars. The Model S not only earned 5.4 stars, it broke their machine that measures the force to crush in the roof. 
So it's not just the safest car ever tested by the agency. It's also the fastest car in production today as measured by the 0 to 60 mile per hour time. That helps make it fun to drive, which attracts buyers. But it has to be practical, too. For instance, it had to be capable of long-distance travel, coast-to-coast. There's only one way to do that for anyone to put up with a car. Musk knew Tesla would have to design chargers that would charge it up very quickly, typically 20 to 30 minutes to get another couple of hours of driving, at which point most people want to take a break anyway. Then they repeat the process until they get to their destination. But then, of course, the company had to build a network of those chargers along highways and in cities to make it happen. They did, at huge expense. But now Tesla is years ahead of any other auto manufacturer that wants to build electric cars. Coming up with that all-inclusive plan doesn't just take intelligence. It takes long-term thinking. Tesla's stock price has been skyrocketing even though the factory had to shut down for the pandemic. The company is now worth over $150 billion. How does that compare to, say, Ford or General Motors? It's almost double of those two companies combined. That means the people investing in automotive stocks looking toward the future, long-term investors, think the future of cars means cars like Tesla. And every other auto company in the world is way, way behind them. And I'm one of those long-term investors. I put $45,000 of one of my IRAs, a retirement account for those not in the U.S., into Tesla stock. I was late in the game. That only got me 200 shares. But today, that's worth more than $160,000. And I think it's going to go much higher in the long run. When my current SUV is ready to retire, I'll be buying a Model Y, Tesla's new small SUV that's built on the Model 3 platform. I think it's going to outsell the Model 3 by a long shot, and the Model 3 has been in the top 10 and sometimes number 1 on the best-selling car lists in multiple countries, including the U.S., Britain, and parts of Europe. If that's all Musk did, that would be plenty. But for him, Tesla is just one part of the equation I talked about just a few minutes ago. It's his way of taking actions to affect the future, in this case to slow down a bad thing he didn't want to happen, climate change. Even if you don't think climate change is really a human-caused thing, you still have to admire his amazing success enabled by long-term thinking to create the first successful American automotive manufacturing startup to succeed in a hundred years. So what about the actions we can take to accelerate the good things he wants to happen? Enter SpaceX. Musk wants to populate a large colony of humans on Mars in part to make sure humanity has a backup in case of climate change or another catastrophe makes Earth inhospitable. Musk knew it would take decades to achieve that goal, but that's what he's working on and I would bet on it happening at some point, maybe not in his lifetime. Seeing it happen isn't his goal. He just wants it to happen even if he drops dead tomorrow. Musk didn't go and invest in some company that makes rockets. He had enough vision to know that the way companies made rockets 
was ridiculous, hugely expensive. Nor did he go out and hire the best minds in rocketry to build something new. Instead, he bought every textbook on rocketry he could get his hands on to learn how they worked himself, and then used that knowledge to design and build something radically new that had never been done before, a way to bring back the most expensive part of the rocket, the first stage, and use it again, and again, and again. Of course, there were failures, again and again, but here's what Musk says about that. If there's a test program and nothing happens in that test program, I would say it's insufficiently rigorous. If there hasn't been hardware that's blown up on a test stand, I don't think you've tested it hard enough. You've got to push the envelope. Sounds like uncommon sense driven long-term thinking to me. And SpaceX was the first private company to launch astronauts into space just this weekend giving the United States human launch capability that we haven't had since the shuttle was retired in 2011. And Musk did all that while also running Tesla, not to mention a few other companies. Let's move on to Bezos at Amazon. For years, I used to joke that This Is True was more successful than Amazon, which was founded after This Is True, because my little newsletter was making pretty good money, but Amazon had yet to make any profits. Amazon was founded on July 5th, 1994, just a few weeks after This Is True, and it didn't make a profit until the fourth quarter of 2001, seven years later. Even then, their profit was listed as zero dollars and zero cents because it was a fraction of one cent per share. What I didn't consider at the time was that the lack of profit was absolutely on purpose. Bezos was putting every penny and more back into the business to help it grow because he had a long-term vision of what it could be. In other words, Bezos was saying to hell with making great quarterly numbers to keep the stock price up. If everything you do needs to work on a three-year time horizon, Bezos said, then you're competing against a lot of people. But if you're willing to invest on a seven-year time horizon, you're now competing against a fraction of those people because very few companies are willing to do that. Just by lengthening the time horizon, you can engage in endeavors that you could never otherwise pursue. That's the key. Very few companies are willing to take even a seven-year view of their future. Bezos was willing to. Just imagine buying Amazon stock in May 1997 when the company went public at $18 a share and holding on to it. If you put $10,000 into the stock at $18 a share that day, today it would be worth more than $12 million. That's over 12,000%. Bezos, by the way, leapt over Gates as the world's richest man today at about $145 billion, even after giving his wife $36 billion of his stock holdings in their divorce settlement last year. But again, this isn't about getting rich. It's about the then what? But again, this isn't about getting rich. It's about the then what? Clearly, Bezos' strategy looked ahead years to reach success. 
Whether you like him or the company or not, like Musk, that's not the only evidence of him looking toward the distant future. He has another company, too, Blue Origin, which is also a rocket company. When did that idea get its start? Not in 2000 when the company was founded, but rather in his childhood. Bezos says the idea germinated when he was five years old. In 1982, when he was 18 years old, he was interviewed by the Miami Herald because he was named valedictorian of his high school graduating class. In that interview, he said he wanted to build space hotels. Don't however that as a money-making scheme. Here's the key. The whole idea, he told a reporter, is to preserve the Earth. Blue Origins isn't a billionaire's plaything. It's him wanting to be able to move humanity into space so that Earth can become a park. You may dream of going on vacation to Yosemite National Park. He dreams of people taking vacations to a pristine Earth, a planetary park. The thing to realize is Bezos doesn't actually have a seven-year time horizon. I believe in the longest time frame, he said, and really here I'm thinking of a time frame of a couple of hundred years. I get increasing conviction with every passing year that Blue Origin, the space company, is the most important work I'm doing. Got that? A time frame of a couple of hundred years. But that's not his time horizon either. I'm pursuing this work, he continued, because I believe if we don't, we will eventually end up with a civilization of stasis, which I find very demoralizing. I don't want my great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren to live in a civilization of stasis. And that's happening soon. And by soon, I mean just a few hundred years. So we don't actually have that much time. For Bezos, soon is the next few hundred years. So what kind of timescale does he actually think about? While the Earth is finite and pretty much has to reach stasis within that time, he says the solar system can easily support a trillion humans. And if we have a trillion humans, we would have a thousand Einsteins and a thousand Mozarts and unlimited, for all practical purposes, resources and solar power and so on. That's the world I want my great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren to live in. Or, as the case may be, the solar system they'll live in. Getting to a trillion humans isn't a few hundred-year vision. We're talking at least a millennium. Lots of people dream about the future, even the distant future. It's a staple of science fiction. There are not very many people who have the means to make significant strides to help make it happen. That's taking it to the extreme. I'll link to that article on the show page, too, so you can get the full context of those quotes and see his reasoning on why civilization will hit stasis soon. While most CEOs are concentrating on their quarterly numbers, Bezos is looking way, way into the future. And that is why I think Amazon is so successful and will continue to be successful. Vision implies a look into the future, and all three of these men are taking it to the extreme. Not three years, not seven years, not their lifetimes, but much, 
much longer. They don't just look at the bottom line. They look at the distant horizon, which then shows up in the bottom line. That's the way to run a company, not the short-sighted concentration on quarterly results or even the annual report. I don't know about you. You may dislike Gates, Musk, and or Bezos, but when you combine vision with truly long-term goals of pushing humanity forward into a sustainable future, I say more power to them. That's the kind of uncommon sense that we need to take the next leap in human evolution. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but they're taking actions that affect those probabilities to accelerate to that better future. I think each of them is serving humanity more than any politician alive. You don't have to have a thousand-year plan to benefit from this idea, but do consider thinking beyond today, the quarter, the year, or even three years. You may be surprised at the bottom line results. Next week, I'm taking the week off to ponder and write about the next sort of thing I'd like to talk about. If you have any questions or ideas you want me to discuss, you can connect at thisistrue.com slash contact. The show page for this episode is thisistrue.com slash podcast 71, which has the links I mentioned, a 90-second bit of this episode that I cut out because this was long enough already, and a place to comment. I'm Randy Cassingham, and I'll talk at you later.